Praise God. Praise God. John chapter 14, verses 27 through 29. Like I said, we're pitching our tent here this morning, but we are not staying here. We got a whole bunch of ground to cover. Um, I mentioned last week that we, um, in this season of, this particular season of Advent for us, we wanted to cover the four themes that are uh, very popular in the Advent season. The theme of hope, peace, joy, and love. Hope, peace, love, and joy, because we're going to cover love next week. Um, and then we'll conclude on Christmas Eve with joy. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about peace. Um, and John chapter 14, verses 27 through 29 kind of gives us a starting place to run with that. It says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does, you, uh, when it does take place, you may believe. You know, when Jesus first arrived on the scene of this world, angels appeared to shepherds in the field to testify of the event. And their climatic moment, in their climatic moment, they basically had this big angelic chorus where they burst, uh, burst out in a song of declaration. And that song of declaration was, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Please, peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Now that Christ has arrived and come to earth, peace has arrived and come to earth. And that becomes even more interesting when we place it next to the words that we find in John chapter 14, verse 27, where it says, peace I leave with you. The words in chapter 14, verse 27, actually come as Jesus is preparing to be crucified, buried, resurrected, and then leave this earth. And as he is preparing to leave this earth, what does he leave behind? Peace. Peace I leave with you. Jesus arrives bringing peace. Jesus departs leaving peace. So today I want to spend uh, the next few minutes, if you will, reflecting on the significance of these words and the significance of these phrases. Because I don't, I don't know about you, but there are a few things in this world, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, let's give him, a, give him a second. It's okay, it's okay, y'all. He's upset, man. He doesn't have peace right now, okay? <laughs> Cut the kids some slack, all right? Cut them some slack. But there are a few, there are a few things in, in this world right now that I appreciate more than peace. This is a world that is craving peace. And so any pointing towards peace that I could get, I am, I am taking it in and I am consuming it. And so as we reflect on peace, I, I hope this is helpful for you. I hope this is nourishing to you because we are definitely in need of it. You know, first thing I want to talk about this morning is what actually, what, a, what, what does peace actually mean? Because you're probably going to be surprised, well, some of you may be surprised that it doesn't mean exactly what you think it does. And secondly, I want to discuss where did peace go? So what does peace mean? Where did peace go? And then thirdly, I want to discuss what does it mean to have it? What does it mean to have peace? 
What does peace actually mean? That's where we're starting. Typically, when we hear the word peace, we consider it to mean the absence of war, the absence of conflict. And it does mean that. At least it includes those things. But the Bible gives peace a more robust meaning. As we discussed earlier this year, the word peace in the Hebrew is, Hebrew is the word shalom. And the word shalom means complete. The word shalom means wholeness. Shalom can be seen, for example, in a wall or a, or, or a stone with no visible holes, no visible gaps, no visible cracks in its structure. They call that kind of wall shalom. They call that kind of stone shalom. Eliphaz, um, and, and, and a friend of Job, when he was speaking to Job in Job chapter 5, verse 24, he said, you shall know that your tent is at peace, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. Your tent is at peace. Why is your tent at peace? Because when you inspect it, there's nothing missing. It's complete. It's whole. It's shalom. Shalom is not the absence of conflict alone. Shalom is completeness. Shalom is fullness. Shalom is wholeness. Shalom can even refer to a full restoration, perhaps of a relationship after some sort of injury or some sort of misuse occurs. In other words, shalom can be not only just the apology for the behavior, that led to the injury, but shalom is actually working to restore whatever the person is lacking as a result of that injury. When you do that, when you say, not only am I, am I sorry, but I'm going to work to make this right. When you do that, you are participating in bringing shalom to that person and to that relationship, making peace. Participating in shalom in relationships is working to make those relationships whole and complete. Participating in shalom in my own life is striving to live a life that is whole and that is complete. A life in which I can settle in and say that I am content and fulfilled and that I, and that I, and, and that I am resting in everything that I have and, every, and everything I have and I need is already present with me. I refer to this definition of shalom by Tim Keller um, a couple of times, but, but it is really good, which is why I keep coming back to it. So I'm going to come back to it again. It says, God created all things to be in a beautiful, harmonious, interdependent, knitted, wedded relationship to one another. Just as rightly related physical elements form a cosmos or a tapestry, so rightly related human beings form a community. And this interwovenness is what the Bible calls shalom or harmonious peace. Shalom means complete reconciliation, a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual, because all relationships are right, perfect, and filled with joy. That is shalom, when all the relationships are right, physically, spiritually, emotionally, socially. That's what peace means. It means more than just, one theologian says, it means more than just an active war or a lack of active warfare. It means more than just a truce between two armies. For the Jewish people, he continues, peace was personal well-being characterized by having a right and blessed relationship with God. 
Now, as you hear this, one thing you know for sure is that the world does not have this. As you hear this, the one thing that you know for sure is that the world does not have this. The world is broken beyond repair. Our world is not only more divided than ever, we are probably more stressed and more anxious than ever. And all of that is included in shalom. Shalom is a rare quality to find in this world. Instead, we sow and we reap chaos and confusion and frustration and anxiousness and anxiety. So the question we need to answer is, where did that shalom go? In other words, where did peace go? And in Genesis chapter 1, we get the answer to that. Genesis chapter 1, the Garden of Eden was indeed a place of shalom. Chapter 2, it was a place of shalom. It was complete. It was whole. It was lacking nothing. It was, there was harmony amongst nature and harmony amongst men. No fear, no anxiety, no anxiousness. And in an instant, it was all washed away. Adam and Eve's mistake was that in the midst of completeness, harmony, and lacking nothing, they believed the lie that there was more to be found outside of God than there was inside of him. With their disobedience, they ushered in sin and they ushered away shalom. And sin has had that impact ever since in this world and on us. Sin ushers away shalom. Sin ushers away completeness, harmony, wholeness, lack of fear, anxiety, sin or lack of anxiety rather. Sin ushers away those things and it ushers in confusion, division, discord, brokenness, Show me a life running rampant in sin, and I'll show you a life lacking peace. I'll show you a life lacking shalom. A life with just as much inner conflict as there is outer conflict in the world. Because sin doesn't allow peace. Sin pushes peace out. Some of you know exactly what I mean, because in many ways you played the role of Adam and Eve many times before in the past week or past two weeks, past month. Satan has constantly lied to you and whispered in your ear and offered you peace. Peace in a bottle, whether that bottle's filled with alcohol or drugs. Peace in the arms of another man or another woman. Peace in working yourself to death. Satan has been whispering like the prophets talked about, the false prophets of the day, whispering peace, peace, peace in your thoughts. He continues to whisper, peace, peace, this is the way to peace, this is the way to peace. When in actuality, none of these choices that he is putting before you have the capability to actually produce peace because sin cannot produce it. It only ushers it away from you. It promises you peace, but then it just keeps pushing it back. However, shortly after the fall, the Old Testament writers, prophets, began to point us to what or who could produce such a peace? We see it early on. We see it in the, the, the priest Aaron and his benediction that we often read here at church at the conclusion of our service. Numbers chapter 6, verse 26, he said, The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord give you peace. The Lord, the Lord. It is the Lord who gives us shalom. 
It is the Lord who gives us peace. But what is the primary way that he does it? What is the primary way that the Lord gives us peace? Remember, peace and shalom is not just the absence of conflict, but it is the complete and total restoration of all things, all things that have been broken by sin. So how does he fix this? He fixes this. He fixes the shalom problem by fixing the sin problem because sin pushes out shalom. And how does he fix the sin problem? He fixes the sin problem by sending us a Savior. Notice that the prophets, as they spoke about this coming Savior, they would often speak in terms of shalom and peace. Isaiah chapter 9, for example, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says there is a Savior coming and that Savior is going to be responsible for ushering out sin and ushering in shalom. Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 26 says, I will make a covenant of peace with them and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them and I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore peace a covenant of peace the prophets are telling us that although we've lost peace in the garden and shalom has been pushed out along with us that there is a coming messiah who they'll call the prince of peace and he is establishing a kingdom of peace by making an everlasting covenant of peace with us. So what does that look like? What does this peace look like? What does it mean, in other words, for us to actually have this peace? When the angels appeared to the shepherds and declared, peace among those with whom he is pleased, what did they mean for us? When Jesus declared to his disciples in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. What did that mean for us? Well, one thing we know for sure is that it meant we've been given something totally different than whatever peace is offered in the world. We know that because Jesus said as much. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Again, when we think about worldly peace, we are pretty much thinking about the absence of conflict. Even during the time in which Jesus was speaking about peace in John chapter 14, this peace that was not of this world, the Roman Empire, was in a large season of worldly peace. A 200-year period that they called Pax Romana, which simply means Roman peace. But that peace was established through viciousness. That peace was established through violence. Here's what one theologian says about the difference between Pax Romana and God's peace. It says that Pax Romana, Roman peace, was won and maintained by a brutal sword. Not a few Jews thought the Messianic peace would have to be secured by a still mightier sword. Did you hear that? 
He said, in other words, they, they saw how that peace was established, and they said, okay, in order for the uh, Messiah's peace to be established, there's going to have to be similar bloodshed. He continues, and he says, instead, it wasn't established that way. It was secured by an innocent man who suffered and died at the hands of the Romans, of the Jews, and of all of us. And by his death, he affected for his own followers peace with God, end quote. See, the Romans, their, their empire was built on bloodshed. They had 200 years of worldly peace. But that worldly peace left a lot of dead bodies in its wake. But Jesus comes and he establishes peace on the body of one, his own. Jesus' peace was established, Rome's peace rather was established when they murdered their opposition. Jesus' peace was established when he was murdered by his opposition. That's one way in which we can look at it and say that Jesus' peace was not like this world's peace. But there are a few other ways for us, for us to have peace, or for the Christian rather. To have peace means that we have peace with God, the peace of God, and peace for God. Peace with God, the peace of God, and peace for God. So when Jesus talks about this peace that he gives not being the same peace that the world gives, he's talking about a peace with God that leads to a peace of God that leads to a peace for God. Peace with God. We have peace with God through the Son, Jesus Christ, because the Son solves the problem of sin that disrupts our peace with God. Peace with God is the first and most essential accomplishment of Jesus' establishing peace on earth. We cannot have peace on earth unless we have peace in heaven with God. All other movement towards shalom, all other movement towards complete and total restoration, all other movement towards completeness and towards wholeness of all things begins with the reestablishment of our peace with God. How do we get that? Well, Romans 5 tells us, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we were justified by faith, we have peace with God. The Bible says that due to our sin, we were once enemies of God. We were opposing him. We were rebelling against him in his righteous reign and righteous rule at every possible turn. But through Jesus' death on the cross, we who trust him as Lord and Savior have been brought near to him. In other words, we who were enemies have been made friends and we have been given peace with God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 17 says, And he came and he preached peace to you who were once far off and peace. To those who were near. How did he preach peace? By preaching himself as Savior of the world. Our peace with God 
is so connected with Christ that Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, which we just read, calls Jesus Christ our peace. The very essence of our peace with God and the very essence of our peace with one another is wrapped up in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The peace that we are able to establish with God is completely wrapped up in the God-man, Jesus Christ. You separate us from him and you separ separate us from eternal peace with God the Father. There is no peace with God the Father without the peace that has been established through God the Son. So peace with God, that's the foundational peace that all other peace is actually built upon. But because we now have peace with God, we receive the peace of God. Jesus says here in, in John chapter 14, verse 25 through 27, the same peace that I have, I give to you. The same peace that I have, I give to you. The peace of God, I give to you to you. When we receive peace with God, we are given the peace of God. That peace is in some ways both internal and external. Let's deal with the internal workings of it first. What could Jesus mean when he declared that the peace that I have given or the peace that I have, I give to you? What could he have meant by that? What kind of peace is this? There's a couple of things that, that, he, that he's probably speaking to. One is this ideal of this, this, he's speaking this at a moment where he is preparing to go and be judged and tried and led to the cross to be hung on a tree and to die bearing the sin weight of the world. And yet, he has peace. Peace that remains calm even in the most difficult of circumstances. Shalom that allows him to remain, remain obedient as the scripture says. Shalom that doesn't lead him to say, well, well this, is, this is too much and this is too heavy, so I'm not going to do it. I'm going I'm to go outside of what the Father has instructed me. Shalom that allows him to, to, to truly ingest what the scripture says about him. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy that was out there that was not present yet, but was out there, but he saw it. Because he saw it, he went forward with the cross. The peace that allows him to do that. The peace that keeps his mind fixed on the joy even through the betrayal of his own. The peace that keeps his mind fixed on the joy even through the false charges and the imprisonment that comes. The peace that keeps his mind fixed on the joy even though, even through the whippings and the beatings. Peace that keeps his mind fixed on the joy even through his brutal death on a cross. He says, guess what? This peace I give to you. The peace of God I give to you. Why? Because you have peace with God. Say, so how is that even possible? Well, because we've been given in Christ a few things. Number one, we've been given in Christ the spirit of peace that lives on the inside of us. And we've been given in Christ the inheritance laid before us. You see, because peace was established with God, we now are given a right 
to the peace of God that comes with the spirit of God living on the inside of us and reminding us that even on our worst days, we are still deeply and richly loved by Jesus. Spirit of God living on the inside of us, reminding us that even in our darkest hours, the light of the sun still shines brightly on us and has laid the ground for us to, re- and the spirit that, that has laid the ground for us to receive an inheritance that we cannot yet fully comprehend. The spirit of God that's living on the inside of us is, rem- is reminding us that even with the most painful sensations moving daily through some of our bodies, the resurrected Christ will resurrect this body and it will one day know no more pain nor cry, no more tears of sorrow. The spirit of peace is giving us peace by reminding us of the inheritance to come. In fact, think about this. One of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, shalom. An internal and budding shalom is what the Spirit is building in us. A shalom that persists through our hardships. A shalom that persists through our trials. A shalom that persists through our losses. A shalom that remains despite our circumstances. The Spirit is driving that shalom in us and building and cultivating that shalom in us. Some of you are saying, well, preacher, I don't feel that shalom very much. There's help for you. There's help for you. Because that shalom is being built in you, whether you realize it or not. Here's one place in which you can find help. Philippians chapter 4. You can turn there and look there with me if you like. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6. This is a place in which we can find that shalom. It says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why does it surpass all understanding? Because the world's peace requires conditions. The world's peace requires that all the wants be met or all the needs be met or the world's peace requires that this person responds this way to me and that person responds this way to me and if if these things don't happen, then I'm not okay. Are you tracking with that? But the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. What does that mean? That means that there is a peace that's available to the people of God. Those that have been, have been given peace with God have the peace of God. And that peace that's been made available to you can cause people to look at you and say, your situation has not changed at all. And yet you seem whole. You seem complete. You seem satisfied. You don't seem anxious. You don't seem overwhelmed. Why is that? I don't understand it. Are you tracking with that? 
supplication with thanksgiving. Let, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things, which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And listen, the God of peace, there it is again, will be with you. So what did we just read? We just read help. We just read help for the Christian who, who, has, who has peace with God. And, and because of that peace with God, he's been given the peace of God through the Spirit. We just read help for you because you may be sitting here listening and saying to yourself, I don't have that peace that we're talking about right now. We just read help for you. Did you see it? There were tools in this bag for peace. Prayer, thinking, and practice. Prayer, thinking, and practice. It was all there. We cannot expect peace to reign in our hearts when, when, when our hearts are void of prayer. We cannot expect peace to reign in our hearts when our hearts are not only void of prayer, but they are filled with all of the thinking of the world. And they are filled with all of the practices, in our, or, or rather our bodies are filled with all of the practices of the world. If our hearts are not if our hearts are not driven to prayer and our thoughts are not, not consumed with the thoughts of Christ and our practice is not consumed with the words and the commandments of Christ, then we are built towards anxiety, towards fear, towards worry. We are built for it. We are primed and ready for it. Paul is encouraging us to change the intake if we are to find the peace of God, if we are to experience fellowship with the God of peace, he's calling us to change the intake, to do something different. You know, we talk about the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But what comes before that? Paul tells us prayer. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Then the peace of God which passes all. We all remember that part, right? But we always forget what comes before it. The peace of God is coming as a product of a prayer life. The peace of God that, that surpasses all understanding that people wonder how in the world can you be in that situation and still have shalom. That comes from a vibrant prayer life. If you are living in perpetual anxiety and frustration and anger and bitterness, before you make any drastic steps in one direction or another, ask yourself this simple question. Do I have a persistent, dependent thankful prayer life. Because Paul says that's one of the means for us to live in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Now this is not, this is not to say we're going to pray our struggles, our emotional struggles away at all times, all right? 
This is not to say, oh, man, if, you, if you're suffering from clinical depression, then, hey, don't worry about going to see anybody. Just pray, pray, pray. All right? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying before we make any drastic steps one direction or another, we need to ask ourselves the question, do I have a persistent, dependent, thankful prayer life? And if I don't have that, then I start there. I start there. Here's another question that I need to ask myself. Am I actively engaged in filling my mind and my heart with the things and the words of God? the words and the commandments of God, with the teachings of Jesus. Why do, you, why do you ask that, Pastor? Verse 8 in chapter 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Again, Paul is giving us tools for the toolkit in order for us to experience peace. What am I filling my mind with? What am I filling my heart with? And let me give you, let me, let me clue you in on something. It's going to be filled with something. It's going to be filled with something. The question is, what is it going to be filled with? That's the question. Not whether or not it's going to be filled or not, but what is it going to be filled with? And the other, and the, other the answer to that is that if you are not filling it up with the things of Christ, then it is be being filled up with the things of the world. And so before you make any drastic de decisions in terms of moving one way or another based on the anxiety and the frustration and the anger and the bitterness and the hatred that's, that's filling your heart, stop and pause and ask yourself, what am I allowing my heart to be filled with? Because what you're allowing your heart to be filled with could very well be the cause of the lack of shalom in your life. You see, when the devil whispers that you are a horrible person and, and God despises you, what is feeling your heart that gives you an opportunity to respond back to that? Do you lack a response? If you lack a response, there's a possibility that you are not filling your mind and your heart with the things of God so that you can talk back. Does that make sense? And you should be able to talk back. When the devil whispers that these folks are undeserving of your forgiveness, are you, are you listening to that and saying, yeah, they don't deserve my forgiveness? Or are you responding with the truth of God's word concerning the depths of his mercy and the depths of his grace towards you that renders you without an excuse when it comes to forgiving others? What are you filling your heart with? So many times when we come to these moments, we, we respond in a way that lacks shalom because we've been filled with so many things that usher shalom out. We talk about forgiveness. We, we got all of our friends, all of our family members, and all the opinions of TV and celebrity saying, hey, these are the 99 reasons why you're not supposed to forgive people. And those are the things that fill our mind and our hearts. Instead of the one thing that God has said, the one reason why God said, you must forgive people because I have forgiven you. What is filling you? What is consuming you? 
Because that's what's driving Salome away or driving Salome in. In order to experience the peace of God, we must seek to actively fill our minds and our hearts with the truth of God. One more question I want to ask you. Are you looking to walk daily in the commandments of Jesus? Are you looking to walk daily in the commandments of Jesus? What does Paul say in verse 9? What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and what? And the God of peace will be with you. Peace comes when? When we are learning, receiving, hearing, seeing the things of God and applying them, putting them into practice. And so before we make any drastic moves one way or the other, we need to examine our life and examine our walk and ask ourselves the question, what kind of practices, what kind of habits am I, uh, am I living out? Am I walking out in my daily life? And are those habits and practices driving me away from shalom or driving me to it? Is there a lack of love in my life that, 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 that I'm just allowing to fester, that, that goes untainted? I'm not, I'm not talking about a works-based salvation. I'm talking about sanctification, saints. I'm talking about examining our lives and examining our walk and saying, okay, is, is there just a lack of love that I'm just leaving out here and letting hang out here? Is there a lack of patience that I'm just leaving out here and letting it hang out here? Is there a refusal to guard my tongue that I'm just leaving out here and letting it hang out here and just saying whatever I want to say and finding all sorts of justification for why I say it? Is there a pride that's just laying out here that's going unchecked and, and, and despite the confrontation that people have given me regarding my lack of uh, humility, I'm just laying it out here and leaving it unchecked? Is there just a refusal to guard my eyes no matter, no matter how many times I've said, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to put some, uh, some, some things in place to guard my eyes, and I'm not doing those things. I'm just laying it out here. These have a direct impact on the shalom that we're able to enjoy. Paul says prayer, thought life, practice. Those are tools that lead to peace. And when we don't take those tools seriously, we are inviting chaos. We are inviting anxiety. We are inviting frustration. We are inviting the stress. Lastly, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? We've been given peace with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ by faith. We've been given through that peace with God, we've been given the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. That's guarding our hearts and minds as we, as we um, commit ourselves to pursuing prayer and pursuing practice and pursuing um, um, a, a thought life that is, that is more in line with God's word and less in line with the opinions of this world. But why have we been given that? Peace for God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Those that are of God are the ones that are making shalom. Those that are children of God are the ones that are making 
Shalom. We are given peace with God, and the peace of God dwells richly in us by his spirit in, in, in order that we might lead more and more, or, or in order that we might make peace for God with others. When the peace of God is filling our hearts and filling our minds and filling our actions, what does that lead to? That leads to peace with one another. If you're wondering why there's such a lack of peace amongst each other, again, stop, pause. There could be other reasons, but stop, pause, and ask yourself, what kind of peace is abiding in my own heart? Because the peace that's here will lead to an outpouring out there. Does that make sense? Internal shalom will lead to external shalom. It'll lead to, the, to, to me loving more deeply. It'll lead to me being more patient. It'll lead to be, me being more generous with my time and with my talent. It'll, it'll lead to me being um, unsa- or dissat- no, unsatisfied when I see suffering in my immediate sphere. It'll lead me growing in wholeness, will lead to me desiring to see wholeness around me. And me dedicating my time and my energy towards what? Seeing others made whole. Pointing others to Jesus in order that they might have peace with God. In order that that peace might lead to the peace of God. And in order that that peace might lead to peace for God. And they're doing the same thing. Does that make sense? We have been given this peace. In Christ's came to the world, and the angels declared, glory to God in the highest, peace among men with whom he is pleased. It was an announcement that all those that name Jesus Christ as Lord have been given access to this same peace. May the Lord of peace grant grace in order that his people might walk in peace. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you.